Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. If this is your first time checking out V Radio, you can check out my archives, both in video and audio format. Um, you can check out my podcasts and my YouTube videos. You can do all of that at v-radio.us or v minus. Basically, it's a hyphen, but not everybody knows what a hyphen is. <laughs> v-radio.us. Um, there you will find uh, links to all of my various social media as well so that you can you know, keep in touch with me because sometimes I've been told by my subscribers that not everybody gets the notifications that they're supposed to get when I'm going on, on the air. Today, my guest is Paul Katz. Um, you, some of you may remember that he and I had some exchanges on the internet on the topic of Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, today, we're going to be talking with Paul about his experience with the situation um, and essentially what kind of came around to being his change in views on the topic. Um, and I want to emphasize before I even begin, when people come forward and say, hey, I've rethought something, I've changed my mind, just, you know, give them a break, man. Like, seriously, you know, one of the big problems we have right now is that, you know, it's so, everybody's so polarized and so emotional and emotionally attached to their point of view that that's becoming more important than the truth, which is the reason why me, the leftist, has to do all this time, you know, basically do all this work clarifying the truth of situations, because there's plenty of people on my side that are just openly lying about things, but that happens on the right too. And it's not good for society as a whole, period. If, if, if we can't even trust our ability to have good conversations where we argue in good faith to come to the best possible conclusions, that's not just going to be about, man, I lost an argument on TikTok. It's going to be about what happens to society. You know, how do we stay civilized in that situation? So, you know, again, you know, if you're one of my followers and that's how you discovered Paul Katz's work, you know, I'm going to urge you to you know, seriously listen to this man. You know, I feel he's sincere you know, and, and just back off. You know, don't, don't harass people over their views on these sorts of things, especially if they're coming forward and saying, hey, man, maybe I wasn't right about this. So um, with that said, you know, I want to welcome you, Paul, to V Radio. Thanks for having me. It's, it, it, thank you for extending this uh, gracious invitation. No problem, man. You know, I guess, so what I wanted to talk to you about, first of all, is, you know, because listening to your video, which I'll make sure to link to people so that they can check it out here, um, you kind of, I guess, kind of came to a full, you know, series of conclusions, and then those conclusions kind of evolved over time. And to me, that's important because um, people need to be able to do that. And unfortunately, I think people don't do that enough. People don't relook at things and go, you know, maybe not, you know. And that's it's just not good for for people. So it's not good for all of us, you know. And so I guess let's start with just like you know from the very beginning how you started to watch the Kyle Rittenhouse thing evolve. And how your views on it evolved from that? Like, did you discover it on the internet? Was it mainstream media? You know, and just take us through the whole story. Well, you know, I think if I remember right, the first time I saw it uh, was linked to, it was on a friend, I'm going to leave the friend nameless, it was on a friend's Facebook page. And, he's, you know, uh, someone on the right wing side, but a good guy, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, I've known him for years. And he was like, oh, well, uh, uh a communist died so sad or something like that. Right. It was, um, so my first experience with it was, whoa. Um, so, you know, I, I of course found the videos and, and looked at it and, you know, at first I was actually like, well, this is, huh, I don't really know what to make of this. It's, uh, you know, there's, how did this even happen? Um, and you know, what, what I think quickly, what did quickly happen is you had, um, 
interests, uh, you know, uh, Lynn Wood, uh, you know, fight back kind of take control of the narrative in a way that wasn't helpful. And I would say very tribal, you know, the, the, the videos of people, these, these people are, they have criminal histories. They are you know, histories of mental illness. It's, it's not a problem that they, they died. And of course, as a person, you know, I, it's just the way I've raised, I'm hardwired not to celebrate anyone's death. Um, when, when bin Laden was killed, you know, I was like, okay, what's well, good that he's no longer out there planning things, but I couldn't, I couldn't feel any satisfaction of the fact that he died. I'm just literally not wired that way. So when people, you know, celebrate when, you know, the people who latched onto this were, you know, just being op- operating in that manner, you know, I'd say I'd viscerally jumped to the other side um, and was like, well, let, let, how does this make sense? And, you know, then a few days later, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the chart sheet came out and, you know, I, I looked at it and, you know, I think there was a, you know, there was something on NPR, which uh, discussed how, you know, how, yes, you know, militias are not allowed. And, you know, that, that's the reason, that's the basis for why he's in real trouble. Let me, let me ask um, for a quick yeah. point of clarification. Sure. Um, when you say viscerally, do, I mean, is that kind of just stating, okay, I got kind of irritated with the situation. And do you, do you, in other words, you feel it was like kind of a semi-emotional reaction at that point? I think, you know, emotional and maybe values driven, um, because, you know, when someone, when the argument is a bunch of people died and that's okay because of who they are. Um, and, and honestly, that happens on both sides, I think. Um, I That just hit me in a really, in a way that I think inhibits rationality to a point. For sure. Um, and, you know, so, you know, I, you know, I looked at, you know, Wisconsin, you know, statutes and, you know, in that framework, it seemed to fit and I thought I was right and it felt good to be right. Cause you know, there were plenty of people who were saying, you know, on the internet, I was like, nah, 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 you know, it just because, you know, it's not like they're not doing this, 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 this kid, any favors, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of latching onto it for their own, almost like a soccer parent. Um, and, you know, I, I, so yes, you know, I, you know, there, there was, you know, clearly commentary on the internet, you know, on news sites and things like that. And, you know, I, I eventually, you know, created that, 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 uh, the YouTube videos and, you know, you, you saw them and commented on them. Um, and you know, but I was like, Oh yeah, but I'm right. And, you know, I, and then, you know, it, it, it turned out that, you know, I, the events as, you know, originally I I thought they were turned out not to be the same. Uh, and I took, you know, I took them down. You know, I, I do believe that when you're wrong about something, it's good to proactively take them down, um, to take things down, to correct yourself. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, essentially I was still in a, in a spot where I was trying to figure out what happened. Um, and I, 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 uh, you know, certainly I I was active on Twitter and, you know, mainly in engaging folks who were, you know, pro, you know, pro, um, you would say pro Kyle, um, which I, I actually, I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's a weird term really. Um, you know, it's, you know, you're kind of almost de dehumanizing, you know, him, um, right. some, you know, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's a person who, you know, and, you know, it's, um, so yes, you know, we, uh, you know, there was a lot of back and forth of, well, I feel this way, you know, the way the statute is written, uh, this is true. Well, no, that's actually not true. A lot of back and forth. Um, and, you know, some, there, there, there are items I, I think I, 
you know agreed with on you know especially when you know the uh, you know the Bruce Schroeder came in of no this, this guy looks like a straight shooter I mean really uh, he's he's going to run a fair trial um, and you know at some point I was like well you know rather than publish things publishing things online um, you know the you know the the proper thing to do is I feel if I have something well you know that's that's for a prosecutor to have and then that goes to court and there's a lot of layers and and a judge that makes sure that anything the jury would get would be filtered. Um, so that seemed proper, uh, you know, so that's where, you know, I, you know, I, I'd sent, you know, a couple messages that way. Um, and, you know, never, never, you know, really directly heard back, which I think is probably proper, um, you know, and in the meantime, I'm on Twitter and, you know, there's, I'd say there's a core group of um, folks who actually um, are very good at uh, their arguments for uh, for for Kyle or Mr. Rittenhouse, you know, however, you know, you, um, and uh, one especially was very patient with me. Um, I, I, I use his name, um, and uh, you know, he walked me through the gun statutes and its evolution. And I looked at the text. I'm like, wow, that really does stink. Like, right. like, I, I, you know, I mean, I don't know that if that's necessarily like, um, I don't know how to properly interpret it, but um, is it? you know, is it a little ambiguous, you know, they have like two substatutes. There's an and there. What does it mean to be not in compliance? Is it one or the other? I mean, there's, there are, there are some interesting isms to this. Um, not, I necessarily think that's incredibly important, but you know, it, 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 it took me a while just to get to there. And, um, then, you know, I, uh, you know, the, uh, so, you know, that, that's going on. And, mm-hmm. In the meantime, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living life, you know, and you're know, just watching things, you know, see, seeing the hearings go. Um, and then, you know, the, you know, one, one thing that I, that I, that I had, you know, uh, you know, latched onto a bit was that, uh, you know, the, the Don Black police interview where, you know, he, you know, mentioned that he was told that there was, you know, some interaction over a window. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, in hindsight, that feels like that was a bad game of the telephone. Um, and, you know, it. what kind of was a wake-up call for me was this last hearing when, you know, what was described didn't sound anything like that. And um, if nothing else, the nature of the initial um, encounter feels, sounds different. Um, and, you know, my first, you know, my first reaction was... Uh, well, I mean, let's, uh, let's figure out a way to salvage the case. And it's like, you know, what am I doing? Like, this is, right. this is, this is so, this is so, uh, unnecessary. And, you know, I woke up the next day and I'm like, Let, let's take another look at this. Let's, let's, let's look at the reel again. Cause you know, there's someone, I think Orkinut who did great compilation work on this. Um, and you know, I mean, one thing I saw was, you know, as he's walking down, it seemed around the time, Mr. You know, Kyle, Mr. Rittenhouse was, gaining speed someone yells you know burn inside and i don't you know i I don't know the facts of like why he was headed to that place whether someone told him that hey you know the the the, the place is in trouble or not but there's theoretically uh, there could be people in there right Uh, it may not be about property only it might be about property and people and that's that's that actually i think that changes things a bit um and you know again i i don't have all the facts but i think that's the important thing to embrace um you know when you don't have all the information and you know if you don't you you should butt out um and uh you know again I, at the hearing i was gra- great gratified to see you know uh, judge bruce schroeder 
frankly be very fair. Um, and uh, that kind of led to this week. And, you know, there was, there was this um, theory that somehow I was on the, the, the prosecutor's payroll. And, you know, it's a corrupt office and um, I'm hired to go out and um, and make trouble. And that just isn't remotely true. Um, it, it's uh, I, I can understand, um, you know, based on like the, the limited information available that, that that could have been the impression. But I really was just a guy who came across a couple things and thought, you know, this rather than make another video, I'm going to send them to a party that might have something that might use it and it'll be vetted fairly and introduced fairly if it, you know, if it, if it passes any muster. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, seeing, seeing competent, especially competent defense lawyers, I think Mr. Richards is really good um, Democrat. If I understand right. Um, if I, if I, if I remember reading that. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting to see this play out, play out outside the emotions of the internet. Right. And that, that actually is one of the reasons why I was motivated to try to talk to you about this and also to give you an opportunity to talk to my audience about this, you know, um, because it kind of just, first of all, I do plenty of debating on the internet and a lot of people look at me like, why are you doing that? Like, isn't it just a big waste of time? Do, do you ever re, you know, reach anyone, you know, and an example of that, I really should have done a video for that guy too, but there was a guy I debated called the non-lawyer. Um, and one day he found an article that was on the route and it showed that a black man had defended himself again um, with a pistol against unarmed assailants who were trying to attack him. And then he got off on self-defense charges. And that suddenly changed his whole perspective because, you know, um, his big hang up was on the issue of, well, he shot unarmed people. You know, um, I mean, it's even more complicated for Kyle because you have Joshua Zeminski firing a pistol in the air behind him when all of this is going on. You know, um, so it's even more complicated, but it's like basically, you know, um, it's important that we reach the people that we can. But I've also just kind of understood that a lot of people read the Internet and they don't get involved like they read it, but they don't. And I can't really blame them. I mean, it just you sometimes you feel like you're banging your head against the wall, you know, but there's I've often talked about this on my show, but uh, there's a psychological experiment called the Ash Conformity Experiment in which they have a group of people go into a room and then there's these lines on the wall and you have to identify which one is the same length as the others. And what they, and what you don't know is that you're actually the only one that the experiment is being done on everybody else. There is a paid actor and they're all giving the wrong answers and they're testing how many people will go along with everyone else rather than actually giving the right answer. And what they discovered was that the more people who are involved in it, the less likely that person is willing to buck the crowd. Now, the exception to this is if you can have even just one other person in the experiment say the correct answer, then the person who has the test being done on them is more likely to step forward and go, okay, wait a minute, no, this isn't right. And what I've discovered in my time with the work that I do is, for example, one of the things about the Kyle Rittenhouse incident in particular is that there were a lot of left-leaning people who contacted me privately to say, thank you for doing that. You've changed my perspective. I hadn't thought about it that way. But as far as doing it publicly, it, you're really risking a big amount of your, 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 basically your reputation because people on the left are kind of expected all to fall in one line and people on the right are expected to all fall in one line. You know, on literally every issue, you know, like the, the mask mandate issue, not that I'm going to debate that in this podcast, but the point is, is that, 
that's been labeled a right-leaning leaning issue, yet Brett Weinstein is a leftist, and he has his own views on the vaccines, and, you know, YouTube censored him, you know, so... It, the point is, is that we've we've become so fixated on our emotional attachments to our perspectives and also our emotional attachments to our team, you know, that we, we that the truth is is the consequence. And the thing that bothers me about this is that in some cases we're affecting real people's real lives. You know, like the fact that it's going to be difficult for Kyle Rittenhouse to even have a fair trial because you're even with all of the great information that's being brought up and I'm, and I'm very optimistic, especially because I think the defense is doing a good job. And I think the offense is doing a bad job. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to find a jury, you know, because everybody's been so swayed by what's going on. Now it occurred to me, I should have mentioned this earlier. So um, what, if, I don't know if you were aware of this or if you were not, but basically the reason that people got the impression that you were involved in some way is that Binger, in all of his wisdom, took a screenshot of his own email inbox and you were in it. Um, <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh, good job. And then he uploaded it and it became public information. And that's why everybody made that connection. You know, I did a video on it, but I made it clear, is he or is he not? Like, I knew, I don't know if Paul's actually working for them or not. Is it possible? One way or another, we know he's at least sharing videos with them, which is not something... I think you should be, you know, flayed for. I'm sure there are plenty of people sharing videos with the defense as well. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change the fact that that's, that's where people got this impression. And it's because of Binger doing something stupid and literally, essentially, artificially doxing you. I mean, your personal information wasn't other than your name. But that led to, I guess they're a Milwaukee small blog or something reporting on it. And then they gave me the information and I shared it with some people. You know, and I made it clear, we don't, I don't know if you're on anybody's payroll. That wasn't, it wouldn't even really matter if you were, you know, but it, the point is, is that you were much more involved than just I'm making videos on YouTube. Do you want to comment on that? Yes. Well, you know, again, I, I you know, I, if nothing else, I wanted to get out of the I thing of like, you know, I, I'm not qualified, you know, to, to do that. You know, I think you, you, uh, you were very good at showing me that, um, you know, and I, you know, again, I, 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 I don't hold that against you. If nothing else, thank you. Um, and, you know, I, again, I felt, well, if, if I do come across anything, um, you know, it, that's, that's the place it should go. Um, if anything were, if, were to, if I saw anything that would, uh, that was very much for the defense, you know, that's where it would go too. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, I, it, I felt like that's, it was, it, it was, you know, if nothing else, I, I actually think it's a good, it's, it's a good idea for, both sides to not think the other side is corrupt or cheating and really, you know, sincerely and, and in, in a very serious manner, prepare for a real serious court case. Now I think the defense attorneys are doing this. They're, they're not drawn into this sort of um, misunderstanding. Um, but yes, no, I, I, I admit that that was a little bit of a surprise that, that, that happened. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe everything happens for a reason. Um, and you know, it's, it, uh, it, it certainly drove engagement to me. Um, and, you know, some of the, a couple of the people online were, especially this, this one handle, um, very calm and walked me through things. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, well, that's uh, important too, because yeah. I've been trying to emphasize to people for a long time that like, I'm not saying I never engage with personal attack with people, but like I try to avoid it as much as possible. Not, but not just because it's wrong. It doesn't work. 
like, you know, nobody, like, I'll give you an example. So like I had Daryl Davis on my show. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a black gentleman who attends Ku Klux Klan rallies. And he's known for getting people to leave the Ku Klux Klan. And, you know, one of the things I presented to him was, you know, so if you brought a BLM protest to a Ku Klux Klan rally, how many Ku Klux Klan people do you think you would recruit out of, you know, basically get to leave? He's like, none. You can't get up in their faces and scream insults at them. Nobody, they're not going to listen to you. You know, he's like, that's actually the opposite of what you should do, because it makes people less interested in what you have to say. And that's, I think, one of the problems is, is that, you know, again, things are so polarized that, you know, it's just. It's become blood sport, intellectual blood sport, Um, you know, and that's why I said, like, one of the things that motivates me about this issue in particular, it's not just about Kyle Rittenhouse. It has greater implications on our society as a whole, that there are still people to this day, for example, who deny that Rosenbaum or Huber or any of those people had a criminal record. I still run into those people. And the only reason it's relevant, this is, I made this point in my documentary, I'm like, look, Kyle Rittenhouse didn't know that any of these people were criminals. That issue isn't relevant. However, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there are so many people that are still lying and saying it's not true. It's not relevant to the shooting itself. Well, you know, if I could bring uh, maybe my my most, um, frankly, the falsehood that I don't like, that I hate the most is when they say the mom drove him there. Like, that's materially not true. We've known that for weeks. Um, This is a single mom who... I don't know, maybe dropped her guard for a split second and then this happened, right? I mean, being a parent is hard. Right. Um, you know, we, we have, you know, uh, and, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm pretty certain a few times, like, no, that's actually not true. Like, you know, stop that. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's strange how, you know, I, I think my gravitations were towards more perhaps misinterpretations of, statutes and such you know i I think as far as like the actual physical things happening on the ground uh, i think i was okay at keeping track of at least the changes since you know i brought down videos and things like that um but yeah i mean the 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 embrace of of bad information to this day just it it it, it's it's amazing to me it's amazing to me that there's still people who think that she's the one who drove them there or that he just randomly fired into the crowd yeah. You know, like, what the hell? <laughs> I've, I've seen those two. No, I have seen those two. Right. And, like, um, what are you guys yeah. talking about? Now, I realized going back in, because I, in order to make my documentary, I watched everything. Oh, my God. It took forever. Um, and, and I had a whole bunch of, you know, there was a guy who walked up to one of the streamers who was present for the shooting, but not the, like, the first shooting, but not the aftermath. And I'm going to forget which streamer it was. He's like, yeah, he just randomly fired into the crowd. So somebody told him that. And then I think that's probably where that rumor started. The problem is, is that nobody corrects it. Like nobody ever fixes it. Nobody ever comes out and says, you know, I mean, similar things have happened. You know, like they talk about the Capitol riot. Well, the police just let them in. You know, that's not actually true either. It is in some entrances, but not in others. You know, in one entrance, I did a documentary about that. They fought for like, at least in the video I watched, 45 minutes in what looked like a medieval siege. I was like, yeah, this is not the cops letting people in, folks. A lot of people got hurt. You know, what? what is the benefit of spreading that kind of disinformation? And that's why I keep coming back to the analogy that I give, like, all the time. We're, we're in a gym class, you know, and, like, the sixth grade when we're all immature. And, you know, the coach calls a team, a you know, point for our team. 
in, in whatever game we're playing, even though we know for sure that we don't actually deserve that point. Everybody just kind of doesn't say anything. And if you start to say anything, then they get mad at you. You know, don't say anything. You know, we want to win. You know, the problem is, is when now we're talking about, we're talking about gym class. We're talking about people's lives. You know, we're talking about things that will forever affect them. Like imagine what, you know, even if he is completely innocent, Kyle Rittenhouse's life will never be normal ever. You know, it, you know, it's just that that option's out the window. People have, you know, and public opinion is the way that it is. I mean, it's like there are so many of these people. It, the funny thing is, is like the abolish the police people in particular. I'm like, I won't trust any of you people to do community justice. Are you freaking kidding me? I was like, you, I can't even have a conversation with you. You know, like you, you guys say stuff that isn't true all the time. And then you, you want to be able to pass judgment on somebody. Like, honestly, I think if they had their way, you know, it would be a lynching. You know, that's how emotional some of these people are. The, and, well, go, ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I mean, my, my one of my last interactions with, with the police was when I lost my, uh, this is while I lost my daughter by a river. And they scrambled and found her. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't want that to go away. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, they, they play an important role. I, I don't I don't agree with abolish the police. No. Um, well, right. And I just what I'm getting at is mostly just that the their solutions are that supposedly that the community is going to come together. And the funny thing is, is the first thing that pops into my head when people talk about community, you know, policing is pictures of black men being murdered by lynch mobs because they may have looked at a white woman like those people all thought they were community policing, too. You, you can't trust angry mobs with these kinds of decisions. And unfortunately, as a society, we're becoming a pair of angry mobs setting our sights on each other. You know, there's a reason why we have these kinds of rational re- approaches to things. And it's never perfect. Nothing involving humans is. But like, let's take, for example, the Jacob Blake shooting itself, the thing that started all of this. Initially, there were memes being passed around that said that he showed up, saw two women were fighting, got out of the car to break up the fight, called the police himself, was relieved they arrived, then got in his car to leave, and then the cops just shot him. And I was like, um, hmm. And then I did my own research. Come to find out, no, he was violating a restraining order that his rape victim had against him while trying to steal her car and abduct her kids. She, he wasn't breaking up any fights like it just but th- there was so much invented information about that. And the first video that was released, I think almost kind of strategically only shows the end of the conflict. It didn't show the police trying to take him down. It, you know, it didn't show the police trying to wrestle with him. So everybody's like, why didn't they just try to take him down or wrestle him or tase him? Because none of that's in the video. They just assume it didn't happen. Then like yeah. three weeks later, now we see another video Oh, look at that. That's the cops wrestling with him. The cops tried to tase him. They tried everything. And then he gets into his car and they didn't even shoot him when he had a knife in his hand. They, you know, it's, but you can't go reaching into your car when the cops are after you because a lot of cops get killed in that situation. You know, it's like I tell people if they want to have an opinion about police stuff, watch the police activity channel on YouTube. There's nobody commentating. There's no spin you know, whoever runs that channel goes out of his way to get every piece of footage possible. He shows the good shootings and the bad shootings. And by good shootings, I don't mean that shooting is good. I'm just saying that the circumstances were, you know, that warranted the unfortunate use of, of force, you know, yeah. but 
most people don't think, I don't think they even consider it. They're just like, man, I'd like police out of my life. Then I could smoke pot and not go to jail and nobody would be pulling me over for speeding tickets. Like they don't think of like the larger implications, you know, so I don't want to go too much further down this rabbit hole. And then to say that, you know, the Jacob Blake shooting resulted in a bunch of people taking it upon themselves to systematically go business to business in Kenosha, burning down and destroying people's property who had nothing to do with any police shootings, good or bad, you know, and that's what creates the situation that's unfortunate, which is that first of all, I would clarify, I don't think that Kyle was wise in what he was doing. I would never recommend that my son go do what he was doing. But, you know, as the judge pointed out, and I think this is really poignant, is that we have to look at this through the lens of what was going on, which was total lawlessness and chaos. The police have been ordered to stand down. They more or less are allowed to kind of corral the riot like, sheepdogs in their armored vehicles. They're not allowed to get down and do anything because they've been ordered not to. Um, And meanwhile, if your stuff is nearby and they just take a mind burning it down, you kind of left to your own devices to figure out what to do. And it's a breakdown of multiple facets of the system at that point, you know, that leads to people showing up the next day being armed. And we shouldn't be in the situation where that is necessary in the first place. That's where I feel the failure is. But at the same time, you know, some of these people, I guess there's a big p- component to this about, well, property is not as important as people. I'm like, okay, sure, no problem. But people's lives are directly impacted by their property. And if you're putting them, you know, like the poor guy at the car source is totally ruined. You know, he doesn't, you know, like he's bankrupt. You know, yeah. they... And they didn't just go after, you know, these weren't even all like white people as they would like to put up. You know, there was a Hispanic family that owned the ice cream parlor that got destroyed and they were immigrants, you know, um, clearly not, you know, rich, wealthy, evil villains like who who needed to be taken down a notch or two in the name of racial justice. And, And also, what does it accomplish? Does, does anybody come to the conclusion that, you know what, gee, you're right. We need to get down on those police. We don't have a criminal problem in this country, clearly. I mean, didn't you see all those people burning down those buildings? Well, Obviously. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm, you know, I was going to say, I mean, and it's, it's inter- I, I think at a high level, this is why it's a good idea. We have a separate independent judiciary, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, from a standpoint of the executive, well, yeah, you put down the, you know, the curfew order and well, that's, that's that. And, you know, that's, there's no real allowance for, well, and if you break that, well, you're in trouble. Um, you know, the, I, I, you know, again, I don't want, I don't want to predict, uh, you know, certainly, you know, what, what uh, judge Bruce Schroeder is going to do, except, you know, it seems like a straight shooter, but I think he has the leeway to have the opinion of, well, maybe that's not acceptable. Like, you know, look, my, my court, my court was smashed guys. I mean, right. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I, I agree. I think there were multiple, um, I mean, there, there's this note about, you know, something about the cops saying, we're going to push them down your way so you can deal with them. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't want to re- say that's factual, but I right. mean, you know, someone seemed to genuinely believe that was said out on the scene. Um, you know, no, Ryan openly says that I've seen the yeah. video. Okay. Yeah. You have. So yes, I've seen it. And it doesn't mm-hmm. let that, it doesn't look like BS to me. Right. Um, and well, then again, that yet again, that's another decision. There, there are so many factors that could have turned out differently, that could have been done differently, or things could have just shaken out differently where this just wouldn't have happened. Um, and 
I, I think it's fair to divvy up and examine those. Um, right. And that's why I was going to say it's not that I think that there's any one side that's going to be completely clean in this situation, but it's just like war. The reason why war is this tangled mess of fault in all directions is because if human beings start interacting with each other in that way, the irrationality has very real and direct consequences. You know, and Ryan Bulch said that. I, I don't know the guy. I've never gotten to interview him, but he is one of the people that I featured in my documentary for his, because he was standing next to Kyle through most of what went on that night. And he said, the police said that, and he's not a pro police person himself, you know, so it's possible. Um, you know, I, where I go with it is like when we started doing things like saying that they just let Kyle go, I don't think they were even aware of the fact that he had anything to do with it. Um, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, I, it's like, I, I can't make a conclusion there one way or the other. Cause you right. know, I, I think they said something, look, it's tunnel vision. They're trying to get to the scene and a lot of people have guns. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that, but I could see it. I could see that being plausible. Definitely. Right. And that's why I, you know, I mean, he was walking up to them and I guess like you can see him try to talk to one of the cops in the car and what he's, what, what has been said that the cop said was get away from the car. You know, which I also believe is entirely possible, but they might have thought that Kyle was walking up to tell them that something had happened, not that he was trying to turn himself in. You know, but the point is, is that what I'm getting at is that they invented a story that they were glad that he shot them, you know, and like that's irresponsible, too. You know, so I again, I'm willing to believe that there are tempers flaring and stuff like that. First of all, it's got to be frustrating. This is not a justification, but it's got to be frustrating, for example, to be a police officer who's been ordered to stand there while people burn down the community and you're not doing anything about it. You're not allowed to do anything about it. You know, you're being mistreated by all of those people who are screaming fuck 12 and fuck the police over and over and over again all night. That's going to have an effect on anybody. And again, not a qualifier doesn't mean it's okay. You know, but nobody everybody's kind of dehumanizing the police in these situations and not really being realistic and their you know their expectations of how anybody would react to what it is that they're doing but at the same time like i kind of come back to the same thing is that this conflict i watched every piece of footage i could get my hands on like before the part where my documentary starts it was literally them throwing like the the black lives matter protesters were throwing objects at the armored vehicles the the arm the armed um militia slash libertarians is what they kept calling themselves said hey you know stop like they confronted them don't do that you know and so then blm got angry at them like what you know we'll, we'll do what we want what are you talking about and this is all on video people can find it you know and look at it themselves that's what started the initial tension and then these geniuses light a dumpster fire and start pushing it towards a gas station and they put out the fire. And that led to this huge argument that honestly, I think if those guys weren't armed, they probably would have all had the crap beat out of them because BLM was mad about that. You know, and I, and I try to just bring it back to this. I'm like, guys, we're arguing over a dumpster fire. We're we're angry that they put out our dumpster fire. Like this is the situation we're in, you know, and, and it wouldn't, I think it's unfortunate, for example, that I haven't put enough emphasis on the video of what had taken place in Kenosha the day before, but again, they were burning down whole businesses that, you know, and that's why they got the response that they did. So we, I don't, you know, you can't imagine that they have a dumpster fire that they're pushing towards a gas station because they have good intentions. 
you know, like it, this is all about BLM being angry that somebody was interfering with their arson. So nobody characterizes that. Nobody looks at that. Nobody considers that that's what this is all about. They're angry at these this group of people for not letting them commit arson. I mean, did you have any thoughts about that? Well, you know, I mean, what was interesting, I thought initially, is you know, a lot of the folks thought that the final confrontation even happened around there or close to there. And it kind of did. But, you know, I mean, you know, there was this, you know, that, that was that was kind of a misunderstanding of mine at first, too. That, you know, that it, no, actually, he, you know, he went, wanted to get back to his own, get back to the business, couldn't. And then somehow later on, I found out, no, walked to a completely different location. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's an open question whether there's a direct correlation to what you describe and, you know, what, what eventually happened. Um, and, you know, my lesson is not to jump to a conclusion. Let, 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 let the experts um, on both sides, the defense and the offense, um, as you, you figure that out. Um, but yes, I, I it's, uh, it, it, it is, um, it's scary that, that things can descend into, into that environment where yes, you have things burning down and businesses burning down. Um, and, you know, I mean, in DC, we had a little bit of that too. Um, right. you know, it, I, I don't think it was as bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of it is peaceful. There is, you know, you know, I, I think there are some, some bad actors who give peaceful people a, a, a bad rap. Um, and it's a tough question to figure out how, how do you keep, how do you keep the 90% of people who are there for good reasons, um, let them do what they want to do, um, you know, it was it, it peacefully while handling, you know, the other percentage that, yeah, just wants to break stuff. Well, right. And then we encountered that same problem in Occupy because the black block now known as Antifa would basically hang around our camps if we would go peacefully march, they would walk around behind us and break stuff. They would throw wind, you know, bricks in the windows and, you know, and we would be like, dude, cut it out. You know, because back at that time, the left was still committed to nonviolent, you know, Martin Luther King-esque activity. Um, and what evolved out of that was that we would end, be in a situation where we'd be, we would literally be telling the media, look, that wasn't us. It didn't have anything to do with us. Well, unfortunately, what's going on now you know, and Daryl Davis pointed this out to me, and he's not wrong, that there are still a lot of Black Lives Matter activists who are not interested in that kind of stuff. And that's absolutely true. The one difference is that what we need to do is, okay, then condemn it. If you're not on board with this, then you need to come out and say it. And unfortunately, what happens instead is that there are people writing articles, you know, or books called In Defense of Rioting or In Defense of Looting you know, or like trying to find some way to characterize it as uprisings, like as if it's a noble thing that they're doing. And it's, I want to be clear, my my problem with it as a leftist is, is not so much about trying to protect the property of wealthy people. It's about what you're doing, not you, but the people doing this, is not effective. It's not just that it's wrong. It doesn't work. You know, and I want to make one more point. It also has permanent destructive poverty causing effects on a community. It does nothing for the community. It makes businesses less likely to come there, which is the reason why Los Angeles still hasn't even fully financially recovered from the Rodney King riots. And those were decades ago. You know, they bring up the Tulsa race massacre. Well, there's a reason why racists went and destroyed the black people's city, not their own, you know, go ahead. 
Well, I mean, you know, when you talk about uprising, you know, I, I, I think it comes to a question of societally, how do we want to invest in, uh, in, in, you know, the general public and, you know, the children of the general public to kind of stem this a bit, you know, it's amazing if you start a music academy in the poorest neighborhoods or, you know, um, and you train kids, you, you'll have, you'll have an all-star orchestra in no time. It really doesn't matter, you know, where you're from, you know, if you sure. invest there, um, you know, maybe you can stop to a point this, these things from happening, but, you know, there has to be agreement to make those investments to, to, to have that type of emphasis. And, it's hard. I, I agree. I, you know, if the, you want to support protest, you want to ensure that people, you know, can express themselves, but yeah, I mean, just burning down places that yeah, you're right. It's, 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 it takes a long time to build anything. I mean, especially, uh, you know, if you're, you're in a place with good building codes um, sure. and it takes uh, minutes for it to go up in smoke. So, I mean, I, I agree. Well, and I, and at the same time, like, it has been shown to destroy the credibility of the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, I think there, I had a statistic at one time, like, it was like 70% support went down to like 36% support over the course of all the rioting. And they're correct to point out that most of them, this is a funny thing, is two statistics, well, actually, yeah, two or three statistics get thrown around. The first one is, well, 96% of them were peaceful. And then somebody else brings up a statistic, says, yes, but not, but, 98% of the riots, and there were over 500 in 2020, involved Black Lives Matter. So, you know, it's, it's, your, it's the truth that most of them were peaceful, but the ones that were not, and 500 riots in one year is not an insignificant number of riots, you know, did involve them. And they don't do enough to come out and say, look, stop doing this. This is not what we're about. And that's where we run into problems. Because at that point then, there were people who would have supported what they were doing, who are not anymore. And the other thing that I've noticed, which Antifa contributes to this quite a bit, is that um, there were people that were, say, moderate Republicans before all of this started, who would have been aghast at the idea of, say, federal troops showing up at these riots and rounding everybody up and, you know, disrupting their civil rights and throwing them in camp somewhere, who are now becoming more and more comfortable with this idea of draconian measures. And I think that's a direct consequence for this very ill thought out, misguided, quote unquote, activism. It's it, that's why I said it's not helping. It hurts the credibility. You know, it hurts the credibility of the anti-racism movements. It hurts the credibility of, you know, the far leftist movements, especially the anarchists. I don't even get that stuff. I'm like, OK, so your solution to convincing people that we don't need the police and we don't need the state is to walk around as a roving gang of violent people and attack people you don't agree with because they may become fascist someday. You know, like nobody who's ever watched Antifa just walk up and beat somebody up for holding a, an American flag has ever thought to themselves, gee, I guess we don't really need the police, huh? You know, <laughs> I guess we don't need the state. We could just, you know, let this roving gang of people randomly beat people up and that will solve all of our problems. I'd say, you know, most of the, that's the funniest reason why more and more leftists are turning on Antifa all the time, including anarcho-communists I'm talking to who agree like, no, you're right. That's pretty silly. It's not going to convince anybody to, that we don't need the state, you know? And I, I think that now, you know, it was another point that somebody made is that in many cases, both on the right and the left, you know, some of the personalities that are attracted to these situations are the kind of people who are looking for an excuse to be violent and destroy things anyway and this just gave them permission, 
you know, and that's how you end up with people on both the right and the left. Like, you know, there's stuff that the Proud Boys do, do that's obviously yeah. completely unacceptable. Well, I, what, what, what I mean was what was interesting is you had, you know, the people on January 6th look, looking for Antifa. Right. Like, we're ready for it. They're, they're, I'm pretty certain there were Actually, one thing the mayor did a very good job of was keeping people at home saying, you know what, right. just let, let the truth play out. Don't, don't get involved. And, but no, I mean, it, in a way it was like lunging at windmills. Um, it's like, we're going to go take out a TV. We don't, we don't really have them. I don't believe we have them here. Really. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I don't, it, it, I've lived in, you know, Virginia, been in Washington DC for years. It, it, it it's, doesn't feel like the type of group that's around here, but they, they were convinced we're ready for them. Well, <laughs> Well, right. And it, well, that's the funny thing is, is that, it, you know, on the same side of, I, mean, I guess on the other side of that, I would point out that there's also this element that, you know, we, we just talked about, for example, that obviously not everybody in BLM is involved with violence or interested in it. Yep. There were plenty of people that were in the Capitol that day who weren't interested in hurting anybody or destroying anything. And the, the point that, and again, obviously I'm not a Trump voter, duh, but Trump did. And the funny thing is I listened to his stuff live knowing full well that somebody was going to mischaracterize what he said. He openly said to peacefully and patriotically let our voices be heard. Like it seemed from what, you know, if you, if you just followed exactly what he said, then they would have went over to the Capitol and got loud and protested outside. That That's it. That's what he called for. Now there were other people who had other plans, you know, obviously, you know, because they were manipulated by QAnon. And that kind of plays back into our, what we were discussing earlier about how the media, the social media can just make you nuts, yeah. you know, who, who went well, to that degree, you know, but it, but it wasn't everybody, you know, um, and it was a large group of people, you know, and it, of course now, you know, information is coming out that some of the people involved may have been FBI agents who just thought that they were kind of infiltrating the situation to see if anything really bad was going to happen. Um, that's questionable in of itself, but it doesn't change the fact that we are now characterizing anybody who is even there as you're a domestic terrorist and you're trying to overthrow well, the government. I, I think it's important that, you know, the, the work be done to determine who's the, the major antagonist. And yes, you, you know, it comes out that people were actively staking out how to get into the Capitol while the, the, the speech was still going on. You know, clearly, right. you know, it's not that the speech wasn't it. And there's institutional issues. I mean, the, you know, when the election was being certified, I forget how many states sued to have the election overturned officially right. with their attorney generals. And when institutions are telling the people that, hey, your country is being stolen from you, when it's the people who actually you've elected to, you know, and they're basically saying that. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think there's plenty of bad actors that day, but I think you also have to. How how bad were they put up to it? Well, um, right. And what it is it what is it that they believed? Because that's that's another element to this that bothers me is that first of all, the people who are vested in, have a vested interest in racial tension, the race baiters, people who literally make money doing this, you know, have you know they they needed their proof that there's this enormous white supremacist group. And I'm thinking to myself, ironically, as I'm watching the footage that I think New York times put together in their very biased documentary was, wait a minute, that's footage of a black man fighting in the tunnel fight. And he got knocked out and look at that. All these Trump supporters are taking so much care of him. Like they're taking him out safely, you know, and dragging him away to make sure he's okay. 
I'm like, this is not just a white supremacist thing, guys. I'm like, I'm not saying that there's no white supremacists there, but I never got the vibe from talking to any of these people that their goals were white supremacist. It, you know, I, I guess maybe part of the problem is, is that now, you know, we talk about words getting misused. Like I just did a video about fascism and Nazis, because at this point we call everybody who doesn't agree with any aspect of leftism a Nazi. They're calling moderate Republicans Nazis. You know, they're calling left-leaning Republicans Nazis. They're calling anybody who may have voted for Trump a Nazi, even though I know plenty of people who voted for Trump in many cases just because they didn't want to vote for Hillary. Some of them were people who would have even voted for Bernie Sanders, you know, who openly told me that. Some of them are people who said they would vote for Tulsi Gabbard this time around. You know, it's like they're but they they need a boogeyman to justify all of the, the stuff that they're doing. So to them, this presented an opportunity to go, you see, we told you there was this huge white supremacist problem. And if that's what they think it is, they're, they're not being honest with themselves about the true nature of what goes on in, in Trumpism. You know, and that's why, like, you know, the other point is Blacks for Trump was present. Like that's an organization within it, you know, within that group of people. You know, um, and, and so I guess what I'm getting is only to say that there's this motive to characterize these things, to justify people's perspectives on who the enemy is. And it's very easy to manipulate humans towards an enemy. You know, um, that, that's that's a well-documented, you know, ironically fascist strategy. Well, well I, I think one of the, the challenges of the whole thing, because, you know, when you really look at it, you had um, – at all levels of the election, if a politician could say, you know, there's doubt here, let's, right. let's, you know, this thing could be stolen. You know, the, the people who actually were working the election seemed fairly, honest, you know, actually very honest, actually, the ones who basically, you know, could you know, go to jail if you know, they misreported numbers. Um, but at every level, you you know, if it was politically advantageous, people would be like, something, it, something smells wrong, something's not right. And, you, you know, Attorney General's doing that. You know, you, know, you had just, you had all this, accountability dodge, you know, where, where, you know, you had very few people say, guys, this was actually the result. We have to live with it. Right. Right. This is is just what it is. And I think when you have that universal dodge, it builds and builds and builds um, to the point where you have, you know, as I said, attorney generals basically trying to overturn the election where this has to go to the Supreme court for some reason, um, where you have states basically claiming standing, like Texas suing some other what Pennsylvania or something like that, as sure. if they, that, that 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 would ever have a chance. And but it sends the message that something is seriously wrong. And yeah, I, I think it sets it, it has a role in setting that up. I don't know if um, I don't know. I do think there were some just genuinely bad actors in the January sixth thing, and I, I think the, the the investigations will turn that out. But I, I think there was a lot of angst and rage that could have been dodged by better honesty and accountability at all levels. Well, right. And I also think it kind of, you know, another element to this that you know was infuriating to me, which is why I made a documentary about this topic was that it, when you look at the way the media is covering this and talking about concerns about domestic terrorism and all that in their minds, January 6th is the only riot that's taken place in the last five years, as if there weren't 500 plus of them in 2020 and they never want to discuss any of that, you know, and I hate to say it, but the conservatives are right that no, it's completely unfair and ridiculous. You know, for example, they're talking about federal buildings. Okay, well, um, Antifa and BLM were attacking federal buildings all year. You know, they weren't the White House, you know, they weren't the Capitol. But it, you know, I, I think 
it, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, the, the right is, is completely legitimate to say, well, why the hell didn't you guys say anything about any of this earlier? It almost makes you think that it's almost as if like the left in some way set the stage for people to go, oh, okay. So breaking into buildings and doing stuff is what we do now when we're mad at the government. I mean, I've seen it going on all year. I guess that's what we're going to do. And again, doesn't justify it. I would never take part in something like that. But we've set up a precedent that that's how people were expressing themselves politically at the time, you know, was to do just that. And I think the main reason, especially like, ironically, right after the first day of Biden being in office, Antifa showed up in Portland and attacked the Democratic headquarters and had anti-Biden signs and the flyer that they were distributing to get people to show up, you know, to do this black block activity is literally the White House on fire. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you guys are all about, you know, it's all about people trying to just you know, overthrow the government and that's bad. And, you know, but now you are suddenly really quiet about it now that a different, you know, a group that you think is once again on your team is saying very similar messages. And, and that comes back to, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts, which is the reason I call myself a left-leaning independent, is that, you know, nowadays, um, we, we've already discussed the team sport aspect of it, but it's that people are turning off their brains to any information that might make their point of view incorrect. And, and that's why I felt it was really important for people who, you know, have been following what you did, following what I did, following what other people who have been looking at this, take a moment to recognize we have a human being who examined the information, had a very strong opinion about it in one direction, and then continued to examine the information, and then eventually put themselves in a situation where they're making a public apology videos and talking about it on Twitter, making a donation in the other direction of the situation. Like, this is profound and important, and more people need to do it, period. You know, not just about this issue, about other issues, you know, um, people make up lies about Trump all the time. And the reason that that frustrates me is not because I'm a Trumper. It's because because of that crap, I can't even have a constructive conversation with people about the problems I legitimately have with Donald Trump because they are immune to it at this point because they've been peppered with so much nonsense. You know, it's like there's plenty of legitimate things to say about the Republican Party and Donald Trump. We don't need to make stuff up, especially stuff that's just wild and fantastical, you know, because then it gives the other side a reason to not listen to anything we say. And this goes vice versa. But it seems like to me, we're in a state now where like people don't want to debate anymore. They, they you know, they, they just want to get rid of the other side. And I, I see more and more damaging rhetoric to that degree all the time. You know, like I did a video a while ago called, um, moderate Republicans are fascists. And I showed them conversations of what was going on in different places in Facebook and the Twitter and, you know, where they literally believe that now we're getting to the point where anybody who ever, you know, voted for Donald Trump should be exposed. They should not be allowed to get a job. You know, some of them go so far as to say that they should, you know, I mean, these are really extreme people, but that violence should be done on them, you know, and that is not a good look. Something that Crystal Ball said on her show at the time she was still in rising, she pointed out, we created a scenario where the other side doesn't just disagree with me. The other side is evil. They are bad people, you know, and if that's all we have, that that's the impressions that we have, how the hell can we coexist in this country at all? There, there's no out at that point. There's, there's no peaceful solution. 
because we've rendered ourselves into such a fear, you know, furor, you know, fury, I would say, that we, we we're taking all the, the, you know, the reasonable options off the table. And it's going to lead to a lot of people getting hurt. And I think that the reason that the left seems to be emboldened to me right now, particularly when it comes to things like censorship, is that they think, well, we're in charge now. So any censorship that goes on will be okay because it's our censorship. You know, we're in, you know, if, if we have to lie to win this argument, then that's fine. In fact, Vosh, a, you know, very popular YouTuber socialist openly says that he lies you know, to try to win arguments because he thinks that the ends justifies the means. And the, the thing that's damaging about that is that we can't have a society that's civilized at all if that's how we go about doing things. Well, I, I think it, it comes down to the weaknesses of a two-party system because, you know, with you know, if you had m- multiple parties, you have multiple potential leaders. And, you know, if one of those parties has gets, we'll say, a questionable one, you know, they, you know, it's not like they suddenly run the show completely for, you know, the, the next four years. Um, you know, it, you know, I, I certainly have had plenty of issues with Donald Trump for a variety of reasons. We don't need to get into to that. Sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, the challenge is, is that if someone... Un- let's say a questionable ethics gets your party's ticket, but that party is associated with the values you hold dear. Well, what do you do? Um, right. But yeah, there's plenty of people who just voted for Trump because they didn't want to vote for Hillary. You know, yeah. and that's it, ridiculous that those were our, and that those were our solutions. Those were the options we were given. Not that it was much better this time around, in my opinion, but you know, um, the two party system. And I, I did a whole video about this at one point, but um, parties in general were not included in the Constitution for good reason. And I think about five of the founding fathers fled England because fights between political parties had turned into riots on the streets. <laughs> Sound familiar? You know, um, and Washington in his farewell address made it abundantly clear, you guys, this isn't a good idea. Don't get into parties that this isn't going to work. You know, it's going to cause all kinds of conflicts. It's going to create situations where... People are going to do what they think is best for their party, even if it's not best for the country. And literally everything the guy said would happen, happened. And he's also the only president we've ever had who is not sold into one of these organizations. And when I had Lynn Wood on my show, he completely agreed. You know, he was he's like, nope, you're right. Political parties are definitely part of the problem. And they're now functioning like a computer virus on the system that is our Constitution that people who have access to the malware, so to speak, can use to manipulate things towards their own ends. And, you know, for an excellent example, that would be gerrymandering, you know, where we're just going to draw up districts that are only our party and then put all of the opposing parties, you know, in one district so that we have most of the districts, which is how you end up with these goofy situations. Like in Michigan, the legislature is utterly Republican dominated, but we have a Democrat governor. (laughs) That that should kind of show a sign that like, okay, Something's not right here. You know, we poll the entire state. We end up with a, you know, a governor, you know, in the opposing party. And then, then the rest of the legislature is almost all dominated by Republicans. So, you know, um, these kinds of things also, you know, they create, you know, ways for people to get a handle into controlling other aspects of our government. Um, Andrew Yang did a podcast with uh, Justin Amash, and he talked about how the way things are now, the way the parliamentary procedure is working out, um, there used to be a time when individual congressmen, for example, could offer amendments on a bill. And you still technically can, but you're only going to do it if Nancy Pelosi says it's OK or Mitch McConnell says it's OK. And that was never intended either. 
you know, so we have this all or nothing. So they'll put a bunch of crap in a bill that's contentious and the stuff that both sides could easily agree on can get held up, you know, and then they'll go so far as to even shut the government down because they're not getting their way, you know, and again, this is all stuff that was never, ever, ever anticipated by the founding fathers would have, they would have never been okay with that, you know, um, because it effectively means, and the other thing that Justin Amash pointed out about this was that the congressmen and the senators in the situation, aside from the ones like say, Bernie Sanders or, you know, the more passionate ones like Jim, uh, Jeff Jordan, you know, they, they don't like that situation. But the reason why everybody else likes it in the Congress and the Senate is it means they don't have to do any work. They can show up to vote, ask Nancy or McConnell or Schumer what, how they should vote and then go vote. And then they can go back to fundraising like that's <laughs> they don't even have to represent anybody. They can just do whatever their party says. And yep. that is so broken. Did you have a comment about that? Just kind of a not in agreement. Um, yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, I, I don't have anything substantial to add to that. I think that, that that's a pretty good frame up. Yeah. Well, it's, it was never, it was never intended and should not exist. I honestly think that, you know, that, that such organizations, well, the also thing, you know, so for example, I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter, but I'm pro gun rights, you know, now mind you, Bernie was kind of pro gun initially, and then he got lambasted for it because you can't do that and be a Democrat. But he's forced to run as a Democrat rather than an independent, which he's been all of his life, because the ballot access is all owned by two private organizations. And, you know, that, that again, that, that should just be utterly illegal. It shouldn't even be possible that that's what goes on. But it does. You know, um, and that's, you know, I think the, the quintessential example that I give is the 2016 election when it was found that the DNC had rigged things for Hillary. The, there was a lawsuit and the DNC defended themselves from the lawsuit by pointing out, well, we're not a constitutional entity. We're a private organization. We can pick our nominee out of a hat, or we could just, you know, have meetings in back rooms and pick whoever we want. It's not, and they've let it slip a few times in 2016. It's not actually meant to be a democratic process. I think a lot of people actually, like I, I meet people who are ignorant of this, that don't know that the political parties are actually not in the constitution, you know, and, the, the end result of that was that they won, like the, as in the DNC won their their lawsuit defense because they were right. And, and so what that means is effectively, and that's another thing, the Republicans who say, well, this doesn't happen in the Republican Party. I'm like, well, <laughs> first of all, let me tell you about a guy named Ron Paul, who the Republicans really unfairly treated, but also just that they would have loved to have gotten rid of Donald Trump early in 2016. He was not the pick. They wanted Jeb Bush, you know, or one of these other establishment guys, but they couldn't because Donald point blank told them, if you do that to me, I will run third party. And I'm familiar with the Libertarian Party because I was one of them at one time. They would have fallen all over themselves to have Donald Trump on their ticket. And at that point, no, nobody would have stood a chance against Hillary. And so they had no choice but to fall in behind him. Bernie Sanders was not willing to do that, even though the Green Party absolutely would have taken him as well. He was not willing to do anything to sabotage that. You know, he, he's not that kind of guy. You know, but again, these parties shouldn't have so much damn control over what we do. Um, and the fact that they do and the fact that they can win a lawsuit, that they're allowed to rig their own primaries is just disgusting. You know, because at that point, it's just a coronation and it really kind of already is, you know, um, you, you talked a little bit about election fraud, and that actually brought up something interesting is that I was talking about election fraud back well before, you know, the general election. And the reason why is that 
Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this footage, but there's a man named Clint Curtis who testified before Congress because he was asked to write the software that rigs voting machines. This was back in Bush Kerry and Bush, um, oh God, Clinton's vice, um, Al Gore. If you remember, those elections were full of all kinds of controversies too. And there were documentaries that were made at the time that you can see, you can actually see Clint Curtis being interviewed in those documentaries about what happened, you know, um, and there was all kinds of craziness going on. At that time, it was the leftist position to say that our elections are being rigged. And, you know, I had Clint on my show a couple times. You know, he's running for Congress now in Florida, and he's a Democrat um, and a progressive. And he, you know, and he, he just wants to bring attention to this problem. And he pointed out that our country is one of the only countries left that even uses those machines because it's just impossible. It's too easy to rig anything that's running on code to give you whatever answer you want. Um, It's just, it's a bad practice. And that's one of the reasons why many major countries have just switched to hand counted ballots that are publicly countable, you know, that everybody can see what you're up to. And he said, that's really the best way, you know, but now because Donald Trump talked about it, we can't even discuss this anymore. Well, you know, in a way, I I think um, mail ballot voting is handy in a way. I mean, you you have it has to arrive at a specific address. Um, in Virginia, we have a great system. I mean, it's tracked every step of the way. Um, it's convenient. Um, you know, I I actually kind of hope that, uh, you know, we learn things with from this COVID thing we're going through. And one of them is that you can have a very secure system that isn't mechanical using our good old-fashioned mail system um, with, with controls. But um, I, you know, yeah, I mean, I... It's it, it, certainly it's it's something that uh, you know. It, it's certainly something that you know you always have to upgrade and pay attention to. Well, right, and you know I don't know if I'd be comfortable with the mail thing as a solution myself, but it doesn't change the fact that what I was mostly getting at was just to say that that to suggest, for example, that that that's entirely a right wing position is is that this is one of my frustrations when I deal with young leftists is that they have no sense of history, and I'm like. You guys weren't around when Al Gore questionably lost the election and then like the Supreme Court ruled that he lost. And then later they counted the ballots and found out that he didn't. But by then, Bush was already president. And then we go to war and all these things that were in Bush's agenda happen, you know, um, and then John Kerry, like that, that whole, everybody talks about that joke of don't tase me, bro. But one of the things that guy was trying to talk to John Kerry about was that there were machines that were counting votes backwards and all kinds of stuff was going on. You know, um, and I I guess what I'm getting at is just to say that some of these things should be nonpartisan. Everybody should have a vested interest in whether or not our elections are are sound, you know, period. It it shouldn't be a well left or right thing. You know, um, I guess the problem, and Clint pointed this out too, he's like, well, what people are going to have to recognize is that this is a problem that needs to be important, whether you're winning or losing, you know? So he's like, I could go tell a bunch of Trump supporters what I know and I will, but that, that they need to be consistent about it because if next time Trump wins and there's an anomaly, they need to be just as committed to it. And he's like, and that's where the problems lie. It's hard to get people to do that. It comes back to the the volleyball game analogy I gave earlier, you know, but so anyway, um, getting back just to uh, the main reason why we were talking initially was just to say that, you know, I think that this is what, well, this is what my work is about. You know, and I hope that being as how you have been through the full spectrum of these kinds of things yourself, 
you know, that other people will consider that I, I don't care at the end of the day if you disagree with anything that I say, not just you, just people in general. You know, did you think about it? Did you analyze it yourself? Did you really get into the, the meat and potatoes of it? You know, and if you are being told by other people not to talk to people who don't agree with you, which is a common thing right now, you know, or if you're being told that it's okay to censor people who don't agree with you, what, what would the purpose of that be? Who would want you not to think about things and not engage with people who don't agree with you? Who would want you to censor an opposition, you know, and just not to let them talk? Because that's the direction that things are taking. And I think the problem is, this is something else I talked to about with old leftists about, that they think that the censorship stuff is okay as long as we're the ones in charge of it. Like, and they don't recognize that, you know, there was a time in this country when the right was totally in charge of that. If J. Edgar Hoover could just censor any kind of leftist ideology, he totally would have done it. You know, McCarthy, you know, everybody talks about McCarthyism when they were literally like, you know, having panels to try to find communists in this country and expose them. You know, that's when the government overreach was definitely not on our side. And things like censorship are not, are, they're, they're just too dangerous. Mankind cannot be trusted with this power. And, and powers of things like propaganda, the ability to convince people of things, you know, and without any kind of evidence, we as humans need to be, do better as a whole, left or right. You know, because how are we going to govern ourselves in any form of civilized fashion if we can't have honest, good faith conversations about the information as it's presented. I, there's a lot there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it, it's strange in a way that, you know, I mean, the internet in a way creates an opportunity for that, but in a way it also creates camps. Um, so I, that's, that's honestly a lot to unpack there. And I, I don't, don't, I don't have any easy answers. Um, <laughs> well, there aren't a lot of easy answers other than let's try to get people to be responsible. You know, let's be activists towards that. You know, let's get people to think. Yeah. And, you know, I, th I think, you know, inside, you know, I, I think it's it's uh, it's good to engage with other sides. You know, I certainly have you know friends on Facebook who are on, you know, more certainly more right than I am. And, you know, we talk about things every so often, you know, sometimes a little heated. But, you know, I, you know, we, we kind of, you know, I think a good. But in a good neighborhood bar, you know, you know, I go out, to, we have a dad side around here, you know, you go out, you talk to people, and, you know, there's there's varying opinions there. So, um, yeah, I, I think it comes, in a way, I think it comes down to good, to good old-fashioned community institutions to, uh, to facilitate those types of conversations. It also means that we need to, I think we need to create more news organizations that are actually devoted to the principles of journalism and not the principles of, you know, um, what we have now, which is like, our news is about as real as WWE is as far as, as compared to say Olympic wrestling, you know, it's entertainment that's created for a certain purpose and that's, and to facilitate, and we come back to the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, for example, they um, left side media uses a picture of Gage, Gage Grosskreutz surrendering for like 0.2 seconds before then he points his gun at Kyle again, as soon as Kyle lowers his, you know, they just pointed it. Said, then he shot people who were trying to surrender. Or he shot them in the bicep, like because they know there are people who want to hear that. You know, even though it's not true, there was a time when our journalists actually cared about being good journalists and being the first to have the truth and expose the truth. That used to be 
once long ago what journalism is about. And now it's just not. And, and we have to take control of that. And now the internet can be a good medium for that. But at the same time, we as people need to see the, the, the point of that we also need to be honest. We also need to be self-correcting. Otherwise, we're just adding to the noise. Sure. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I think that was, you know, I don't want to comment too much on, you know, I, I kind of learned my lesson, you know, in a way. I don't want to comment too much on it. I, it, it, I think, it, you know, again, I don't know exactly what happens there. Um, I, I think it's a weird situation in that, in that final uh, conversation. I, I could be wrong, but I think you know, there could have been, uh, you know, potentially a, a clicking from, you know, Mr. Townsend's Kyle's gun, um, you know, it clearly a jam, and it could very well be that uh, Mr. Groskowitz took that to mean it was being prepped to fire again. I mean, that wasn't the intent, but you know, that it could very well be that both of them conceivably thought they were in the danger. Um, For sure. And you know, it's not what I'm. That's that supposition. This is where you know, this is where there's a trial and everything. This is where I'm going to shut up about it. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is what I would say is in a way, and maybe I was an idealist, you know, because I'm you know, commenting online about this. I always felt, well, you're going to have an honest jury, an honest judge, uh, you know, to an earnest prosecution, an earnest defense, and whatever happens in the outside, well, no, you know, you're the in, in there, it's going to be insulated and fair. And um, I actually still think that's going to happen. I really do. Um, you know, I, I like the judge there. Um, I think you have a diverse set of people in that community who will, you know, have, I think it, it's going to be an interesting, one we'll never know, but it will be a profound deliberation that I think will happen there. Um, and uh, what I've learned is that's, it's for them to decide. It's for them to, um, I, I do think that it deserves um, adjudication. I actually, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think that, you know, a prosecutor could just write it off and be like, oh, well that happened. I'm not, I'm going to do nothing about it. Um, but this is why the community has courts, courts, and that's why there's an independent judiciary. And, you know, I think my, my, my message is, you know what, let them handle it. Yeah. No, that's a fair answer, I guess. And we've been talking for a while. So I, I think we've kind of gotten a lot of this out. There was, an incident, and I feel terrible for forgetting the guy's name, but before all of this, in Omaha, there was a guy who got jumped during a riot, and he fired his pistol, and he killed somebody who was choking him, like he literally reached behind and, and shot the kid in the face. And initially, because there was clear video of the whole thing, he got, like, he they said, okay, this is obviously self-defense, and then they let him go. So then what happens next is what I would call the rioter's veto, where basically... You know, um, Black Lives Matter activists and such harassed the prosecutor and, you know, more or less kind of made some implications that there would be consequences if you didn't if they didn't change the ruling. Then they open the case back up and they go after this guy. And then and then unfortunately, he committed suicide. I want to say that the kitty shot's name was Skurlock. Feel bad for forgetting his name. But that was an example of like I've watched that video a bunch of times and. It, that was even way that was way more clear than the Rittenhouse thing, and people still were able to kind of overturn that. That's where this trial becomes something that's central to the future of our society: is that we can't let this become an emotional or political thing. And that's what really worries me: is that you know there are people who, if they could be on that jury right now, they would say Kyle was guilty no matter what was presented to them. 
because they really need him to be guilty. They need him to be wrong because he's not on their team. And if we get to a point in society when, when mobs get to determine what is and is not justice, I fear for the future. Um, well, you know, um, I, I would, and again, this is maybe me being an idealist, but I, I honestly think it's true. You know, this is, you know, there's, there's going to be a question there. You know, this is where both sides weigh in on it. And I, I generally have faith in juries. Um, I think they're going to get a good group. Um, I think uh, Judge Schroeder, he's, you know, he's increasing the list of it. He's increasing the size of the jury pool to account for things. Um, there's going to be a fair set of questions. And this is, um, you know, again, it, my what I was doing online, in a way, was kind of based on the faith that, you know, no matter out there, um, what happens in the courtroom is going to be fair and, you know, well-heard and, you know, with the rules in place. Um, but again, it's just something that uh, it's best to uh, not make, you know, let those processes play out and, I, I, you know, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I just seeing the, the actual court in play, um, I, 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 I have strong faith that it's going to be a fair trial. Um, if nothing else, you know, my, 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 um, my feeling was, you know, at the very least, I owed uh, the ensuring that the representation on the defense side was, you know, bolstered a bit. Um, you know, right. yeah, I, I felt like that was appropriate, and. Yeah, it's, you know, that's what I hope for, a fair trial. Well, yeah, and I think that's a good place to kind of, you know, begin to cap it off. I would agree with you that I certainly hope that it is. My, you know, any concerns that I have now are are actually, ironically, not even inside the courtroom. They're going to be about how the public reacts, you know, um, and how much impact that's going to have. I don't think it's going to have any impact on this judge. He's been very clear he's not going to let it be political. I've actually been pretty happy listening to him you know, um, in these conversations, you know, and I agree with you there, you know, that, that was going to be a question of what kind of judge we got. And, you know, um, but I, I do say like, you know, we point out about the defense fund, for example, actual justice warrior just did his video about this. And it was kind of like a, you know, what the hell does he need the donor list for? You know, people have already lost their jobs because they've contributed to the Kyle Rittenhouse defense fund. So, like, you know, what is the benefit of that? If that information goes public, then a bunch of people are going to be punished just for participating in this process to be sure that this kid has a competent defense lawyer. Like the only point behind that was attacking the funding of the defense team, you know, is to try to prevent Kyle from having an adequate defense. That's where the ethics on the part of the prosecution in this case is, is really messed up. And all the other stuff that he wanted pushed in to me, it looks like an act of desperation, honestly, but it's also just, okay, so we're going to make him guilty of murder because he got in a fight with a girl who was fighting his sister. We're going to make him guilty of murder because he was outside of a CVS that was being looted and he just said an offhanded, stupid, I'm a kid talking crap comment about how if he had his AR, he would do something. And then it was like Binger then turns that into, well, the, he did do something. He called the police. I'm like, okay. What the hell's wrong with that? It was almost like he was trying to characterize him as like maybe it's because he was calling police on black people, which I guess is racist now, no matter what those people are doing at the time. You know, it's just he wanted to make the case, ironically, 
it, it, it looked a lot like he was literally trying to make the same arguments that I run into on Twitter. Like I was like, you know, he can be, this is the part people need to accept. He can be a Republican. He could be pro police. He could be a kid who got into a fight with a girl who was hitting his sister. He could be all of those things and not be guilty of murder. That's possible. And, and that's kind of why I, you know, I, I, I want to butt out because, you know, I think it's, there are rules in place in the courtroom. I think, you know, the judge is a straight shooter. And, you know, I think that a proper referee courtroom with an earnest jury will come up with a sincere verdict. Like, you know, the events you describe, I don't, you know, I I don't know if the CVS was actually, you know, in trouble or not or anything like that. I, I don't know. I mean, but, um, you know, it's it's important that, you know, there are rules of evidence that are followed and that, you know, rules of admissibility that, that are followed. And, um, yeah, you know, he's he's no-nonsense judge. If it's unless it's directly relevant, it's not getting in there. All right, Paul, um, I'd like to talk to you very briefly after we're done recording here. But first, I just want to say thank you for coming on. And, you know, you did something really big to be able to come forward and say, Hey, I don't, you know, I don't agree with the way I did this and I've changed my perspective and, you know, and even trying to help, you know, that, that took a a lot of courage. And that's why I've tried to tell people who value my input, like, okay, can you guys back off of this guy now? You know, like cut it out. Cause at this point he's doing something good. You know, we need to encourage people to do this so that they're more willing to do it in the future, whether they agree with us and we also want to do it so that we ourselves can ag- admit when we're wrong about something without having to worry about, you know, the amount of the repercussions that are going to happen to us for just openly saying we were wrong and telling the truth. You know, so thank you for coming on and thank you for having the courage to do this. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we're done? Well, first of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity because, you know, if there's you know someone who's, you know, again, outside of the you know the people I, I apologize to in the video, you know, the uh, Mr. Rittenhouse's family, Dominic Black and their supporters, this was hurtful on my family. Um, and, you know, they, my wife, my kids, they, they, you know, I've, I've been apologizing for them to them because they, they should have to deal with all this. And so, you know, I love them very much and I'm, I'm incredibly sorry. Just like, I, I, you know, I put them what did, did um, nobody harassed your family or anything? Did no, they? no, 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 no. But I'm, Oh, you know, thank I'm, God. I, I, I have responsibilities to them and you know, this, this was, this was not a, this was not a good thing. And you know, they made it, this is, this is the reason I'm disappearing on Twitter. You know, it's, sure. it's, um, I, I am, um, it's just not a good fit for me. And, you know, I hope that, you know, and so, so thank you for the opportunity, right? I can, you know, to have to be able to speak here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, again, I, I just want to say to anyone who you know felt like, you know, I was uh, it really, who I want to apologize for anyone who felt, um, you know, uh, like I was just out, out just being cruel to, or, you know, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it was never even about, wasn't about him. It was just, you know, you have these people who are glorifying the deaths online and death is an awful thing. And so, you know, you want to prove those people wrong and, um, you know, it, yeah. And, you know, you wake up one day and you realize, wait a minute. Yeah. I I have to cut that out. Um, so sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, thank you for giving me the opportunity and I, I vow to be much more responsible online, probably mainly by being online, online a lot less. Um, (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot of people who I think should be doing that. So I agree with you completely, Paul. So, 
Thanks again for coming on and having this great, you know, in faith conversation with me. And as I, you know, as I said, I'd like to talk to you very briefly after I'm done recording and I'll make that, you know, we'll, we'll know when that is, but thank you everybody for tuning in to V radio. Again, if this is your first time listening, you know, please check out my archives. I've interviewed senators, congressmen, presidential candidates, activists, documentary filmmakers, um, just like long history going all the way back to 2008. Uh, my political views have evolved some over the years. Um, my current content is really not as much about hammering on right versus left as so much as thinking and not thinking. So if you are on the right, you're still going to find a lot of content that you will like on my channels. And if you're on the left, you will find content that you will like on my channels. And I also recognize that being somebody who wants to be able to give good faith conversations about this is going to alienate some people. They're not going to want to listen to what I have to say because maybe some of the things I'm saying are not comfortable to them. And if that's the case, I understand my show won't be for you if you're not thinking for yourself, if you can't tolerate that somebody may not agree with you about everything. And that also includes my audience, I might add. I encourage people to go ahead and debate with me in the comments as long as they're being reasonable and you know respectful. Um, and because that's what the society needs. We need to have more conversations with people that we disagree with in such a way that is constructive, that leads to an ad, you know, of more information, of more understanding. And there was a time when the internet was a force for that. And if we wanted to continue to be a force for good for humanity, then we have to take responsibility ourselves. If you know that you said something stupid, clear it up. Like I say that, for example, about the people who said that, you know, the cops just let people in on January 6th. It's like, if you knew that, that you know, you know now that that's not true, Make sure anybody you told that to knows different and vice versa. So um, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Um, I will be interviewing Jeremy Lee Quinn, who is another activist journalist who walks around during the course of these things to try to report with his camera. Um, That should be a good conversation. I'm still researching more shows. Um, I'll be doing a bunch of them coming up. I just am trying to actually have everything grounded. And you know how I like to have all of my Um, sources available to you. So that takes a lot of time. Thanks again. And consider supporting me on Patreon. I I have uh, some of my goal of my patrons and and it looks like we'll be able to continue with the same frequency, you know, and all of that that we were before. Um, Just, you know, keep in mind that, you know, if I have to focus less on making money outside of YouTube, then I can focus more on the quality and the frequency of content than you like. No matter what, I'm not going away. I didn't do this for money. And for a while, actually, if you might all remember, I refused to do it for money. Um, You know, so now I'm just at a state where it's like going back to work would be very difficult because I'm disabled. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult and it will be painful. So if I could continue doing what I'm doing for you and you find value in this, then by all means, support me on Patreon. And that's it, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in.